Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation is with Elizabeth Breyer. Elizabeth is a Victorian writer whose work has been featured in the likes of Mianjin, VoiceWorks and Griffith Review, amongst many others. Today, she's joining me to discuss her new novel, From Here On Monsters. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. We record on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, and I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ongoing connection to that land, stolen land that was never ceded. Final Draft explores the best of Australia's books, writing and literary culture. As featured on 2SER, now the Great Conversations podcast, here you get a chance to hear more of these discussions. What doesn't make it to air? The in-depth, the funny, uh, the insightful. From here on Monsters, we meet Cameron Raybould. She's an antiquarian bookseller in a city not so different to our own. Her store's a haven, as all bookstores are, to readers. And then one morning, she arrives to find a stranger asleep on her couch. The mysterious appearance of John heralds a break in another mystery, the translation of a rare codex that Cameron has been commissioned to value. So join me as I speak with Elizabeth Breyer and we discover the mystery of From Here on Monsters. Now, I am joined with just an absolutely fantastic book that um, I'm... Still still working over. I think I'm going to start reading it at the end of this interview. But the author is Elizabeth Breyer. She has kindly consented to chat to me. And we are going to discuss her fabulous novel from here on Monsters. Elizabeth, thank you for joining me on Final Draft. I confessed off air that I've been waiting to talk to you about this book. Thanks so much for having me. I need to give the listener a little bit of a, I guess, a suggestion of of what's got me. So Cameron Raybould is an antiquarian bookseller in a city that I guess it's not so different to our own, wherever you are. Her store is a haven, as all bookstores are to all readers. And then one morning, she arrives to find a stranger asleep on her couch. The mysterious appearance of John heralds a break in another mystery, the translation of a rare codex Cameron has been commissioned to value. Now, these, these are just two threads from here on Monsters. And there are tricks to decoding and deciphering any text. And you often rely on on things like context and reference. So how we picture Cameron, the librarian wordsmith, the saviour, the detective, these are all contexts that are going to kind of guide our reading. Now, Cameron goes through a lot, and there's, there's scare quotes over that. I'm, st- I'm still not sure exactly what to make it of all, but I'm really interested in what you originally envisaged when her voice came to you. When her voice came to me. Yeah. Um, did, did Cameron come to you as a voice? Did the story come to you? I think so. In terms of how it all began in the first draft, um, it was very much about just kind of seeing where the next scene would take me. So it was very much um, making it up on the spot in the first draft. Of course, then you go over and you rework and, you know, change and um, think of new things to add um, in subsequent drafts. But, yeah, it wasn't – I wouldn't say so much that it was a voice. I guess the thing that I had in my head was the sort of noirish, I guess, paranoia or the feeling of being in the city and these shadowy things happening. So that that feeling or that tone – was with me to begin with. Um, yeah, and it kind of emerged from there, I guess. Okay, well, that's, that's interesting to know because there are, there are things that happen to Cameron um, that I, I thought were curious and I thought this is either a character that you love and you trust 
to to go through these things or just a character that you really don't like and you want to put through these things. Um, <laughs> oh, poor Cameron. <laughs> I, I, but I, I still don't know what to make of some of this. I, I, I hope my confusion is is sort of like catnip for the reader and they're like, we need to discover this Cameron. Uh, noir, though. I have seen the description of noir surround from here on Monsters. You've just used the, the, the phrase there. And in much of the classic sort of noir, we have a detective who's, who's barraged with seemingly disparate threads and they have to draw the clues together. And often there's a, there's a bit of a reveal. But Monsters trades, that's, that's my affectionate term from, for, from here on Monsters, Monster, yeah. <laughs> Monsters trades in language where meaning may be revealed or it may be obfuscated. Were you looking to play within the genre of noir in that way? Um, yeah, definitely. So I guess that was sort of the inspiration, but I was definitely, I guess, more interested in taking it in another direction. So thinking about um, language, thinking about how usually we rarely see what's there, but rather what we think is there and how what we think is there can be manipulated by language. Um, and I was also thinking about contemporary events in Australian um, politics and that kind of, that was sort of simmering under the surface, I guess, and was and was the initial inspiration um, for writing this strange novel. <laughs> oh, good. So you, you've good. You've gone there because I I had a very sort of weaving question where I wanted to look thematically at what you were working with in from here on monsters. But maybe before we get to some of those those themes, I wanted to stay with noir just a little bit longer because I also loved the almost sort of cinematic treatment of the way you move between scenes. And I, I could have almost played this, this novel in sepia, sort of the, the, the colouring and the, the, the graininess as, as we, we move between rooms in, yeah, in, in noir. How, how important was creating those scenes and maybe paying homage but also working around it? Yeah, I guess that again comes back to the tone. So I guess I was trying to maintain that tone throughout, especially because a lot does happen and there are quite a few, there's basically two interwoven threads, but these kind of involve, you know, subplots and that kind of thing. So I was trying to um, maintain that tone throughout. So yeah, that was quite important. You've mentioned there that there are threads and I've I've talked about Cameron's bookshop and the appearance of of John, who has broken in, and Cameron comes to sort of hire him, adopt him. She also takes on a new job uh, for a prominent artist in a strange kind of research role. And as she delves further into that, I I guess, path, she notices things happening in her world that I'm, I'm going to leave purposefully vague but can you talk to me about how you create paranoia and how how paranoia infuses I I guess the themes that you wanted to explore how to create paranoia I guess part of it would be um, ambiguity so leaving some things a little bit ambiguous or a little bit sinister so that was sort of one way of creating it um yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's. I couldn't. I can't really think of of other ways. It's not. It's. It's funny. These things come to you and you write them, but it doesn't feel so conscious sometimes. 
Perhaps I perhaps I should have been clear too. You you create for or created for me an immense sense of paranoia. The idea that something was happening and. One thing that I particularly noted was that Cameron, the, the paranoia was heightened for me as the reader by Cameron's continual seeking to deny it, to deny that there was anything happening as she went about her day. Now, you talked a little bit before about contemporary events and the way they, they motivated aspects of the story and perhaps some of the themes. Is that then perhaps something as a reader we should be worrying about, our, our desire to ignore things or, or keep them on our periphery because they're uncomfortable? Is there a paranoia that, that we're ignoring? I definitely think so. And I guess framing it as paranoia makes it seem, I guess, like it's something in our heads or it's something that we shouldn't necessarily be worried about. But I definitely think we need to be worried about, um, you know, things going on in Australia at the moment. So... Yeah, so that's a really good way of putting it. And a lot of this hinges around, I guess, a question that we might call, what is happening? Within the bookshop, there are mysterious noises at night, and and John is, is terrified but also compelled to stay there. Across the way from Cameron's building, in a in a sort of scene that I, I, I kept trying to visualise, um, there is an office that looks very similar to Cameron's bookstore. And in fact, when she first notices it, it's because it's a mirror image of her own right down to the bookshelves. And you play with what we understand around ideas of, of translation and the idea that one thing can ever adequately represent another. In the mirror room in the opposite building, the, the translation becomes sinister, partly because it changes as Cameron's space changes but also because, of course, it can't be exactly the thing that it seems to represent because Cameron isn't, isn't present there. What do we as, as readers, though, need to know and need to think about in terms of translation in Monsters? Ideas of translation. So I guess what, what you were referring to there, that kind of makes me think of um, the way, you know, if we think of the colonial history of Australia, there's been this foreign culture has invaded, has tried to kind of translate itself to this land here, um, while also trying very hard to suppress any idea of um, of the land already being, you know, beloved of other people. So I guess that would be, I was thinking about translation thematically in that way, so how uh, I guess one culture can get translated elsewhere, and I guess the ethics in, um, involved in that. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm not answering that very well. I'm, you're confusing me too. <laughs> no, no, not, a, not at all. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to sort of very, uh, very lightly tread around some of the mystery and from here on monsters. But I was, uh, what you said in your, in, in your answer there, these two ideas of what translation is, I guess if you, if you're reading a book in translation, you often have a sense that you are reading a representation of the thing but put in a way that you can understand it. You couldn't read the original language, but somehow your your translation represents the thing that you had. But of course, what you described there in the, the colonial history of Australia is a translation by way of change, by turning one thing into another thing. And that tension very much seems to exist in From Here on Monsters. Is a translation just simply a representation or is it a process of turning one thing into another and how how we come out of the end of that transformation. 
Um, I was very interested in, in the monsters that perhaps come out of that process of translation. Yeah, so you were interested in them? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I like the idea that you play around with the idea that there are monsters um, uh-huh. and what these, what these monsters are. And the, the suggestion that a, mo- the, a monster is something that's gone through a transformative process and, and what the origins of that might have been and what the end result might be. Yes, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, like, the, I guess, if I like the monster, I was most kind of interested in when I was researching this was the Minotaur because that's a myth that was um, created by outsiders. So it was an outsider myth at the time. The Athenians um, were being kind of used by the um, Minoans, who were the, the kind of great power of. Um, the Mediterranean at that time. So they were sort of, um, you know, I think it was like seven men or seven women or something had to be sacrificed to their bull god. So I think that's that's sort of where I... That was what I guess found really interesting, um, this outsider myth about um, this monster and it's kind of the height of civilization, but sort of what is sacrificed. So, you know, we may have the height of civilization. It might be this kind of... Um, really important, powerful place, but, but what are we kind of ignoring and what what kind of sacrificial victims are there um, in order to keep that civilization going? So I kind of, yeah, that's what I was really interested in, I guess. One of the things, um, so yeah. So, sort, of the, sort of the dark heart that exists exactly. inside. And that's, yeah. a, I mean, maybe I need to, maybe I need to stop tiptoeing around things and, and look thematically at what you've already hinted at this this idea that in trying to create monsters and I guess in in Australian society at the moment we have a situation where perhaps um, you know perhaps rightly but I suspect not this idea of monsters is being drummed up around outside forces and somehow we we need to become more insular because of these outside forces coming in and in the process of, of demonizing people arriving in Australia um, that, you know, when politicians saying things like, we will choose the the time and the manner of their arrival. In in turning them into monsters, what monsters do we ourselves become? Um, And I I saw that that process of translation reflected throughout from here on monsters, Um, no more so than in the way you, you play with and use language. Yeah, so I guess um, going back to the two events that inspired it, um, so I started writing this in 2015, and so uh, by then it had been a few years since um, Australia had started um, offshore processing of asylum seekers. Mm. Um, And also around the same time, there was the excellence raid on the the Australia Council funds um, by Senator George so that was when he carved out a kind of personal slush fund. Mm. Um, and, you know, there was no longer going to be arm's length funding. So I was sort of thinking about um, how art might be more inclined to be in service um, to kind of dominant political discourse if funded by a party in power. And, you know, as well as, as that, of course, like how is it that um, we as citizens are allowing this kind of offshore processing to happen? What is... What's the process or the cognitive dissonance that allows us to to live with that? 
Mm. Um, yeah, so those I guess those were the kinds of um, underlying inspirations or, yeah. Do you see, and I'm really interested in, in engaging with one other of the ideas that you bring up, and this is, this is sort of a theory that's brought f- through Cameron and John's uh, conversations, and I think the author, who, who is sort of the mysterious disappeared author, Zillard, um, his theories of, of hi- on historical understanding and approximating the conditions of a text to properly translate it. Did, did you want to reflect that in this bureaucratizing world that somehow by, by creating this, this sort of horrible reality where we can have these monsters and we can do these things to language, we are sort of creating uh, and approximating the conditions of the text by, by, by changing language, we are in effect changing reality. Well, yeah, exactly, because I guess we, um, one of the ways we experience reality is through language. And I mean, if you take a look at, at newspapers over the period, um, at the kind of, you know, the terminology used by politicians, there seems to be this very concerted effort to dehumanise asylum seekers. Um, and it's it's achieved through policy, but also through language. Um, so, yeah, that was, I found that really scary i guess mm. yeah. yeah i thought i thought it was just just an absolutely brilliant conceit the way the way monsters emerge from that because language is is so much of how we mediate our reality and it's scary some of the things that that are brought forward when when that starts to get manipulated with um and yeah, just very much. This is this is what from here on monsters concerns itself with. I'm just going to reintroduce uh, from here on monsters author. I am speaking with Elizabeth Breyer, and we are discussing this this fascinating paranoid noirish thriller that that I've I've fallen in love with, and I'm absolutely browbeating Elizabeth with questions over to <laughs> to help me understand it. <laughs> Um, Elizabeth, thank you so much for taking time to to sort of listen to my strange and esoteric questions. Uh, that yeah, I this is the sort of book that I think people will come back to because it does have so much to offer on so many levels. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's it for this great conversation with Elizabeth Breyer. Elizabeth's new novel is from Here on Monsters, and it's out now through Picador. Great Conversations is recorded on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation at 2SER's Broadway Studios in Sydney, Australia. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. To keep up with the latest in books, writing and literary culture, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Just look for at Final Draft 2SER. You can also click subscribe in the podcast app wherever you're listening to this and you will get a new Great Conversation every week. My name is Andrew Popel and I will be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Till then, happy reading.